it's that time of year. I'm telling you, it's been very busy, but uh, nevertheless, I want to remember the most important part of this particular time of the year, and that is that he came to this world robed in flesh so that he could be my Savior. I'm thankful that his blood that was shed on Calvary washes away all sins. Amen. Aren't you thankful for that today? Praise the Lord. I'm thankful for Calvary. And if it hadn't been for his birth, his coming to this world, none of this would have been possible. Amen. Again, I want to say how glad we are for everybody being in the house of the Lord. And it's been really good over the last uh, couple of weeks to have my mother-in-law with us. I appreciate her so much. And this is going to be her last weekend be with us for a little while, and uh, but I appreciate her and thankful that she has been here. This is a very special woman and uh, has been such a great Christian through the years, and I appreciate her so much and honor her. If you have your Bibles this morning, direct your attention to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 17. Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. If I could have just a little bit more on this monitor. Gospel of Luke, chapter number 17, and I want to begin reading with verse 26. I have preached other messages, sermons from this particular passage of Scripture, but I want to go a totally different direction and perhaps preach from a particular verse here that I have never really expounded on before. Starting with verse 26, and as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, and they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. The same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Verse 32, remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in one bed. The one shall be taken, the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken, the other left. Two men shall be in the field. The one shall be taken, the other left. They answered, said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, thither shall the eagles be gathered together. I want you to look at verse 32. Simply as a three-word verse, it says, Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Let's pray that the Lord would bless here this morning. Pray his touch and anointing would be upon this service. Would you pray right now, Jesus, we're asking you to move in this place. Praying, God, that your will would be done. We're praying, Lord, 
Jesus, for your anointing to be here and upon every heart and life to receive the word of the Lord. It's so imperative that we be in a condition to receive, and I'm asking you to help us with that today. In the name of Jesus, we thank you and praise you for it. Would you love the Lord with me and worship him together with me right now? Let's everybody praise the Lord together. I love you, Jesus. We can do much better than that. Let's praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. Scripture is often used, this scripture that I read to you this morning, in reference to the rapture of the church or the catching away of the church. This really is one of those passages of Scripture that we use to explain end-time events, and it comes as a result of a question brought to the Lord by uh, the Pharisees when they came and said, How do we determine the kingdom of God or the coming of the kingdom of God? How will it transpire? What will be the events that is leading up to it, or how will it take place? In what kind of atmosphere will the kingdom present itself? Now, I want you to remember from the outset here that the coming of the kingdom is something that we are admonished to pray for by the Lord himself. He said in his example prayer to us, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. And though this is certainly what Scripture is talking about, it's talking about the coming of the Lord. I do believe that, but I also believe that many of these passages of Scripture that we affix a certain meaning to, and we decide that that's all that it means, and that's all that is there, many times we miss other meanings, or maybe even deeper meanings that are hidden within this passage. He's talking about the coming of the kingdom, and how it's going to transpire. So when that day comes, what's the environment going to be? That's the question. What is the atmosphere going to be like? What can we expect to be going on leading up to the events uh, that you're speaking about, the coming of the kingdom? And I'm not really in this message this morning going to deal with the eschatology or end time events as it were, as it relates to this text, but I want to focus more on the reference made in verse 32. It's almost like this particular verse looms above all the rest in this passage. And it almost seems to me, as I read it, and perhaps you felt the same way, that it's disconnected from all the other verses in this scripture. It almost seems as though when you read this passage or this chapter through, that when you get to verse 32 and it says, Remember Lot's wife. It's almost as if it doesn't fit there, or it causes you to wonder, what does this have to do with what Jesus is trying to explain or what he's talking about? But you've got to remember, before you can really get the full meaning of the passage and the Scripture and the teachings of the Lord, you've got to remember that he's talking about the coming of the kingdom. He's talking about how things are when God gets ready to do something cataclysmic. When God gets ready to move, this is 
how you can expect it to be, whether it's his coming or any other thing that he does. It begins by, uh, he begins the story by saying that if a man is on the housetop and if the Lord would come, that he doesn't need to go back. If he's left stuff in the house, he doesn't need to go back and try to recover those things. He goes on to say that if he is working in the field, uh, don't return back uh, for anything that you might have left behind. He goes further on and he says, Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. And then he goes a little further and uh, he tells and describes to us just how definite and how much of a fine line there is and how clear-cut this is going to be. And he says that there would be two that would be lying in one bed and one would be taken and the other left. Two women working side by side, grinding at the meal, and one would be taken and the other would be left behind. Two men would be working in the field and one would be taken and the other would be left. So there is certainly a feeling of urgency in this text that God is going to draw such a fine line and clear line that uh, it doesn't matter who you are or who you're connected with, what your pedigree is, who you may be associated with, that you cannot hang on to somebody else and expect to receive what they have just because you're connected to them. You cannot expect to receive a blessing from God just because God wants to bless somebody close to you that perhaps has a, uh, a deeper relationship with God or is connected to God in a special way. So he tells us that our relationship with God is an individual relationship. We, we understand this in the New Testament. The Bible tells us as Peter is preaching, he, he tells them, he said, save yourself from this untoward generation. Uh, it tells us that we have to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. When it comes to salvation, and might I just, just use a broader brush and say anything in the kingdom of God, just because you're connected to a certain church or you're connected to a certain person or maybe your mom or your dad is a prayer warrior or, or maybe you have a long lineage and family that you're a part of that has walked with God. You cannot rely upon that. When the kingdom of God comes, it's an individual thing. When God visits someone, it's an individual thing. When God deals with someone, it's an individual thing. I realize that God many times deals corporately. He can move on a church. He can move in a church and a body of people. But when it comes right down to it, as it relates to us receiving a blessing from God, anointing from God, a touch from God that is specific to us and our need, we have to realize that I cannot rely on somebody else. I cannot rely on their response or their lack of response to the moving of God's Spirit. But I have to receive what God has for me. So that demands that I be sensitive to what God is doing. That I have an ear that can hear what the Spirit is saying. 
Does anybody understand what I'm trying to say here this morning? As God moves across this congregation, there's going to be folks that are going to receive. There's going to be folks that is going to hear. There are going to be folks that are going to be spiritually aware of what is transpiring and taking place. But I have noticed in a congregation of this size that there may be others that are totally unaware of what's really happening and what's going on. But in the midst of all of that, God still blesses the hungry. He still blesses the sensitive. He still reaches out to that person that is expecting him to while he may pass by another he can still reach to you if you're open and aware of what's going on in this place and I'm thankful that God works that way I'm thankful that somebody's uh, uh, unresponsiveness and insensitivity and uh, being maybe spiritually unaware of what's going on does not necessarily affect me if I'm hungry for God Amen. I can be sitting right next to somebody that's carnal and and they don't know what's going on. They're not aware of what is happening spiritually. They have no hunger for God. But if I'm hungry for God and I'm thirsty for the Lord, the Bible said, Blessed is he that that, that hungers and thirsts after righteousness, for he shall be filled. That's what God's looking for is one hungry heart in this audience today. That's what God's looking for in this house. It's just an invitation for somebody to say God if nobody else desires you and if nobody else is hungry for you I'm hungry for you God I want you to move in my life is anybody hungry here today hallelujah clap your hands and let's praise the Lord together so as it pertains to our relationship with God it it transcends associations it clearly points to the fact that God is not calling this, this passage does God is not calling for cliques and clubs and groups. He makes it crystal clear that that you cannot enter into anything that God has because of who you are or who you're associated with. Amen. Or what you identify with necessarily. There is a feeling here that when it comes to salvation that it's every man, woman, boy, and girl for himself or for herself. Praise the Lord. If that was not enough to get our attention and help us to realize that we cannot spiritually hobo off of somebody else and their faith, their relationship, and their prayer life, and their consecration, and their commitment, if that is not enough, Jesus speaks what is almost the shortest scripture in the New Testament. And he says this. He says, remember Lot's wife. In the midst of all of this, he said, I want you to remember something. And it's like an afterthought or like it's thrown in there, but it really isn't. Now, there are times and other passages where he refers to Old Testament characters, but generally when he refers to them or when they're referred to anywhere in the New Testament, Uh, He gives us a little bit about their story, the reason why he is referring to them. Maybe there's something about uh, their life, their character that he is trying to point out as an illustration to us, to teach us. Or maybe other writers in the New Testament would, would do this, and they would refer to an Old Testament character, and they would give us some reason why they are doing so. The New Testament refers to Esau, and then it says the reason why that he is mentioned is because... He was a profane man. 
that sold his birthright for one morsel of bread. And what he is trying to say, the writer is trying to convey, is that uh, uh, this man was so uh, spiritually profane. That doesn't necessarily mean that he had a filthy mouth. What that means is he did not appraise the things of God properly. He did not value the things of God like he should have. And sacred things didn't mean anything to him. And because of his carnality, it cost him the greatest blessing of his life. And that's the reason for the illustration. And then he goes on, and Jesus himself talks about uh, Jonah. And he explains that as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days. But in this particular reference, he does not explain it all. He does not give us the reason why necessarily that uh, Lot's wife is mentioned here. He just throws it out and he walks away. It's just a a three-word sermon here that it's up to us and it's our responsibility to dig it out and find out what the Lord is trying to convey to us. He doesn't even tell us what to remember about her. If there was a a particular characteristic about her that we could analyze or, or something that we could learn from her life. But he just says, remember Lot's wife. He doesn't tell us what we are to remember. He doesn't tell us the way that she looked. He doesn't tell us anything about the way that she may have walked or talked or what she may have said. We have really nothing to go on. This is really the only thing that we have is to remember Lot's wife. It stands out as a warning, but we need to understand what he is warning us about. So we have to dig a little deeper. We have to to read into this and find out what it is that the Lord is trying uh, to make us cognizant of and help us to remember so that we could better uh, live for him and serve him in our relationship with God. I believe that this scripture is going to be a significant reminder to us and where we are as a church. Uh, Here we are, this year is concluding, and we've said many times, it's not only been me, but many have said this year it seems like has has went by so fast. It seemed like when January came, somebody pushed the accelerator down, and here we are, and next month it's going to be January again, and we're going to be in a brand new year. But with this year concluding, 2011 is shortly going to be in the books. It's going to be history. And here we are entering into a new year. I believe that there are some things that we can learn if we'll look close enough into the Word of God from this verse of Scripture that I presented to you this morning that will help us as we enter in to this new year. So let me give you some points from Lot's wife. Remember that she is a nameless woman throughout the Scripture Uh, The Lord did not say uh, anything about her background. He didn't give us anything about her pedigree. He didn't name her, her genealogy, where she came from. He didn't say that she was a prophetess like Anna or she was a judge like Deborah or a powerful woman like Ruth or a determined woman like Rachel or a prayer warrior like Hannah or a godly woman like Sarah. Uh, We don't have any of those things. She's not like any one of them. The Bible does not tell us anything about what would seem important about her her other than that we ought to remember her. We ought not to forget her. So 
if you're going to remember Lot's wife, you're going to have to dig for pieces and morsels and put the puzzle together and gather up all the information that you can about her. And since we don't really know who she is, we have to look at who Lot was. And maybe we could get some clues and some ideas of what kind of person that she was because who he is defines possibly who she is. And the Bible doesn't say, remember Rose, Lot's wife. It doesn't say, remember Janice, Lot's wife. It just says, remember Lot's wife. So for those that may not remember who Lot is or remember a lot about his life, just just take a moment to get reacquainted with Lot here in the Scripture. Lot was the, he was the nephew of Abraham. And when Abraham gets his call from God, and we preached about this this last Wednesday night, to leave Ur of the Chaldees, Lot goes with him. Uh, The father of Lot, and this might have been part of the conditions why he went, but the father of Lot had recently passed away, and Abraham takes Lot with him. Really, Abraham should not have taken Lot because when God called him out, he said, I'm calling you out from your kindred. You're to leave them behind. I don't want you to have anything that would hinder you in your quest in following me. And uh, I say that by observation, not by criticism, because I myself know what it is to try to take people along with you that don't want to go. To try to lead people into places in God that they don't want to go. To try to introduce people to things in the Spirit that they have no desire for. And it's a very difficult thing and frustrating thing And this was the plight of Abraham almost from the beginning. And because he took him with him, it led to some challenges and some troubles down the road. When God calls you, he doesn't necessarily call everybody that you're associated with. Matter of fact, there's maybe people in your world that won't understand what what God's doing in your life. Many of you, when you came to God, when God called you out of the world, they didn't understand why you didn't want to go back and party on Friday night. They didn't understand why you didn't want to associate with them the way that you used to. They didn't understand why the friendship began to taper off. They didn't understand why you you no longer had a taste for alcohol and you no longer had a desire for the drugs and you didn't have any any kind of uh, inclination for the things of the world like you used to. You didn't laugh at the dirty joke no more. Amen. You 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 didn't involve yourself. Uh, with the things that you used to involve yourself with because when God calls you out uh, there is some things that you're going to leave behind and there may be some people that you have to leave behind can you say amen but I understand the connection here Lot was a fatherless child and Abraham was a childless father And by reading the scripture, it becomes immediately apparent that Abraham wanted a child above everything else. He wanted a son, and he's 75 years old when God calls him, and he's even older than that when God makes him a promise that he's going to have a son, and it hasn't happened yet. And so I could see why he would be inclined to take Lot with him because I've always wanted a boy, and he doesn't have a father, and I'm just going to kind of adopt him and take him along. And so they are fused together because of their codependence upon one another. And this would take years for God to break in their lives. A lot of times we are connected and bonded with things that actually are a hindrance to us 
simply because we're searching for some kind of fulfillment to an emptiness, to a void, to a vac- vacancy is there. And that, that vacancy creates a vacuum for us to, to receive things into our world, into our lives that perhaps we should not allow to come in because we have this, this desire or this emptiness or this vacancy or this hunger for this thing. We allow things that maybe perhaps down the road are going to be trouble for us. But it's a weakness for us. We allow it. We open ourselves up to it. We open up a flank, if you could say it that way, for the enemy to get an inroad into our lives. And I, I, I feel like everybody in this place that can relate to what I'm trying to say here because our heart is tender in this area, because we're moved so easily in this particular area of our lives. We allow things, and then later on we realize that that probably wasn't the best decision, and it didn't lead to the best results. It's not just because Abraham falls prey to this, and he's not the only one. As I said, everybody here can probably relate to it, but I find other people in the Scripture that did the same thing. Moses. Moses, God said, I want you to go and face Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him to let my people go. And he said, God, I can't even talk. I stutter. I can't even. I'm not a good speaker. I can't represent you before the king of all of Egypt. And he said, I've got to take Aaron along with me to, to be a speaker for me. And we understand, though we, un, we know that, that Aaron was called a saint, and we know that Aaron was right with God in the end, but there was trouble along the way that Aaron allowed in the life of Moses and for the people of God. It was him that allowed them uh, to create that molten calf that they all uh, worshipped around while Moses was receiving the law from God. It was he that, along with Miriam, spoke against uh, Moses' leadership and because of this uh, it stopped the progress of the entire nation and the people of God and their progress towards the promised land so anytime we allow things into our lives anytime we allow things to, uh, in our weakness to come in and uh, because of some deficiency that is there, we allow. We need to make sure that this is of God, no matter how we feel about it. We need to make sure this is what God wants. Amen. We need to not just say, well, that's how I feel or what I think or, or that, that I'm a bleeding heart in this area. No, you need to make sure that this is not going to be a hindrance to you on down the road. Amen. And so, nevertheless... Abraham and Lot start out on their journey together. And Abraham made a tragic error almost from the get-go. He allows Lot to have his own separate herd, his own separate flocks, his own separate possessions. Usually in this type of a traveling band, there would be one, one leader and, and everything would fall underneath that, that particular chain of command. But now Lot who God has called out to raise up a nation of people. Now there's two nations. There's two agendas. There's two, there's two separate philosophies. And there's two ways of life that is, that is taking place underneath his leadership. There is division that is here. And Lot has a separate agenda, if you could say it that way, than Abraham does. And Lot was nothing before Abraham found him. He was a tag-along. He was just an invited guest. He was just a follower. He didn't have the call that Abraham did. He obviously did not have the relationship with God that Abraham possessed. He was just one that went along with Abraham. 
And let me just stop and say that it's critical that we not have that same type of connection with God that Lot had. His relationship with God consisted of only having a relationship with Abraham who had a relationship with God. He didn't have a relationship with God himself. He didn't have a prayer life himself. He didn't know God himself. He just knew a man that knew God. And when that man, a man disagreed with him, or when that man was separated from him, we see the plight of his life. We see what ended up in Lot's life because he never really developed a relationship with God himself. I think it's very important and crucial that you understand it's not enough just to have parents that live for God. You've got to get a relationship with God. It's not enough just to know a prayer warrior. You've got to be a prayer warrior. It's not enough just to have a pastor that knows how to hear from God. You've got to, in your life, develop an ear that can hear what the Spirit is saying. You've got to be able to hear from God. So he just went along with him. And it seems to work out for a while. But soon enough, what was really in the heart of Lot is revealed. And it isn't long until you find out just how committed and how loyal and how faithful Lot is. And this was a problem for Abraham. Jesus said a house divided against itself shall not stand. And this is why unity is so critical. You can't consistently continue in God's blessing without unity. Lot was a different or had a different nature. He was a different man than Abraham was. Lot was sight driven. Lot was lust driven. Lot was comfort driven. Lot was what's best for me driven. But Abraham was faith driven. He was trust in God driven. Abraham has heard from God. Abraham knows that no matter what things look like at the present, God will fulfill his promises no matter what the conditions are right now. And so in time, there's a strife, strife that, that, that begins to be created between the herdsmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Abraham. There's some fussing, there's some fighting, there's some strife and disunity and discord that is going on and I, I don't see any place where Lot himself had any direct confrontation with Abraham but where did this strife start from where did these herdsmen of Lot get the idea that they could they could, they could disagree or they could have discord or disunity against Abraham I tell you, because it was already in the spirit and the attitude of Lot. It was already a passive aggressiveness that was going on here that he could just passively disagree and that spirit caught hold in these herdsmen or these servants of Lot. And finally it reached such an intensity that, that Abraham said, he said, you know what? He said, there, there, there's strife here and we be brethren. We don't need to have this. He said, I'll tell you what, you look out over this land. He said, if you decide to go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. It's as simple as that. I'm going to let you choose. And the Bible says that Lot lifted up his eyes and looked. And he looked out over the plains of Mamre. And he, and he saw over there all the lands that, and, and the Jordan plains, how they were well watered and they were green. And he said, man, that's, that's the direction that I want to go. And the Bible says that he, 
pitched his tent towards Sodom. He set his direction towards Sodom. That's the way. That's the decision that I'm going to make. Can I stop and tell you that in Abraham's case, it's just like you and I many times to do right. It doesn't always look like you're winning. It always always doesn't look like that's the best thing or the best decision for you at the moment. But if you keep standing for what's right, you keep doing what's right, if God's blessing and if God's favor upon your life, if you'll just hang on and be faithful to God in the end, you'll be able to look back and you'll you'll take notice that God has taken care of me. He's watched over me. And while everything in Lot's world's burning to the ground, the Bible tells me that Abraham's still standing on the promises of God and God's still taking care of him. I got a message for somebody in this house. If you just keep on being faithful to God, God will take care of you. God will watch over you. God will be there for you. We can just wait on the Lord sometimes. I think it was Martin Luther King that made the statement, truth smashed down to the ground will rise again undaunted. I'm going to tell you, staying with what's right, living for God, being faithful to him it always comes out in the end God is faithful and he's going to bring those that are faithful to him out look at Joseph it didn't look like it was the best decision to hang on to that dream keep on talking about that dream look like you'd want to let go of that dream you nearly lost your life because of that dream quit talking about the things of God quit believing in the things of God quit talking about what God's going to do in your life because it doesn't seem like it's working out for you and it seems like it's been years you you just get your head up and then all of a sudden your feet's kicked out from under you again it seems like you just get back and and get, get your stance back and you just get going again and the rug's pulled out from under you again but in the end the Bible tells me that the very one that tried to steal and kill and destroy his dream come and bow down and, and ask for his help Amen. and God, God brought him out God made him a prince and a governor of all the land of Egypt I'm telling you God can bring a person out if they'll just continue to hold on to the promises of God what about Job's so called comforters his friends that said you may as well give up maybe you've done something bad maybe you've sinned against God that God is allowing this to take place and then perhaps his closest friend in in life his wife said why don't you just curse God and die but Job kept on standing on the promises of God and the Bible says this that his end was greater than his beginning I'm telling you God can bring you out if you continue to be faithful to him Oh, clap your hands and let's praise the Lord together. It looked like Lot won. It looked like Lot was doing better, but in the end, everything Lot had was left burning and Abraham was still standing. Even when God makes his intentions clear concerning Sodom, the Bible says that Lot lingers. It looks like if God has spoke to you so clearly, Lot, that you have enough sense to get your stuff together and get out but he lingers because now he's grown attached to those things notice something here his children the Bible said his sons-in-laws they mocked him when he said it's time for us to leave this city God has told me that he's going to destroy this city he sent us 
visitors, angels, to warn us of what's going to happen. And his sons-in-laws mocked him. You know what? Rebellion came full circle in Lot's life. Lot, he didn't have any respect for the words and the relationship that Abraham had with God. And he did not ever really submit himself fully to Abraham. And so as a result, when he tries to influence his own sons-in-laws, they said, no, and they mocked him. I'm going to tell you what, this serves as a lesson to all of us that, that we need to be very careful and uh, not allow ourselves in any way to let rebellion grow in our heart, even even if it seems passive, because there's going to be a time you're, you're going to need God to, to help you influence somebody in your world. And if you've not been, been submitted in your life, and if you've, not, if you've not been obedient to God completely in your life, then you cannot expect to be able to influence them when you desperately need to. And I've had a lot of people that's came to me at times and said would you help me in this situation but because they did not nurture a relationship with the church and a relationship with the pastor the leader of the church then the pastor couldn't help them in their time of crisis I'm telling you it pays to stay submitted it pays to stay in the church it pays to keep your spirit right towards the things of God because there may be a day you're going to need to influence somebody in your world and get them out of Sodom. And, and, and because you've been submitted and because uh, you've kept yourself under the authority that God has for you, you'll be able to influence them. You'll be able to have authority in their life. Does that make sense? Praise God. I don't want kids mocking me. Well, you ain't never listened to nobody. You ain't never let nobody talk to you about things of God. You, when, when the pastor said, I don't think that's the best decision, you, you laughed in his face. Why would we think it would be any different now? What a grief it must have been for Lot. You see, his rebellion had a way of coming full circle. And as Lot begins to leave the city escorted by angels, he takes his wife by the hand and he's leading her out. When I read this text, and it's talking about if you're on the housetop, don't go down and get anything out of the house. Don't try, like a house on fire, don't run back in there and try to recover anything. If you're working in the field, don't try to go back and recover anything that you've left behind. But leave it. That is showing me that when God gets ready to move, He moves suddenly. He moves quickly. Is that not what He said? When He sent the angel to Simon Peter who was in the prison house, He said, get up quickly. I'm going to deliver you. I'm bringing you out of this prison. The church has been praying about it. You can't just, you can't just loll around here. You can't just take your time. You've got to start moving quickly. If you're going to see the moving of God and if you're going to see deliverance and the miracle is going to take place and revival is going to come, you're going to have to get in a hurry about it. 
How many times in the scripture have people waited and waited and waited for God to move? But when he began to move, it happened so suddenly. It happened so quickly. He said straightway he reached out and, and he lifted him up and his feet and ankle bones received strength. Straightway he healed them. Straightway he did this. Straightway he did I'm telling you, it happened so quickly. It happened so suddenly. And you cannot at that moment say, oh, wait just a minute, God. I want to try to prepare for this. I want to get ready for this. I, I, I got some things I got to take care of. I got to go back and adjust in my life. I got some things. No, 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 no. If God gets ready to move, you got to be ready to move with him now. You got to be willing to step into it then. You got to be willing to grasp a hold of it and go with it at that moment. How many times has God getting ready to move? If I could say it this way, the kingdom gets ready to come to a church and God gets ready to visit a people. God gets ready to do something special. Amen. In a church or a group of people. And because we're not prepared, because we're not ready, we find ourselves trying to go back and fix something. God, I need to repent about this. I need your forgiveness in this. God, I want you to take care of this for me. God, I want you to take care of these issues in my past. God, I need you to deal with me in this particular area. God's spirit moves on by us and we're unable to go with what God has for us because we're not ready for what he's doing I want to be prepared in 2012 for whatever God has for us I don't want to be going back down to the house trying to recover my stuff when God gets ready to move I don't want to be back God I got to go back and recover something Amen. I want to be able to leave it all behind and follow God in his desires for my life Lot's wife does not epitomize necessarily the sinner because she was saved from the city. And she does not necessarily epitomize the backslider because she didn't go back to the city. But she epitomizes many of us who when God was moving, when God was ready to do something big and her future was bright, and the days before were greater than anything in her past that she looked back and said there's some things it's not that she necessarily wanted to stay in the city there might have been some things that she wanted to take with her that she left there does anybody know what I'm getting at this morning how many times has God move in our lives and do things in our lives and the future is bright and the future is great and there's some promises that he wants to fulfill and there's some things that he wants to do and there's a work that he wants to accomplish but we find ourselves reaching back we find ourselves looking back we find ourselves saying God I need to go back here and resolve something in my past I need to go back here and take care of something that happened last year I need to go back here and deal with this and God said no you need to leave 2011 and 2011 and you need to go into 2012 with fresh faith and fresh desire and realize that it doesn't matter what's transpired in the past. I've got better things for you in the future. Amen. I don't care what has transpired in days gone by. I've got better days ahead for you. If you'll just reach out, if you'll just grasp it, if you'll just hold on to it. 
Come on, let me get just a little bit more specific here. Maybe there's some things. Maybe there's some old wounds. Maybe there's some hurt. Maybe there's some, there's some open, open wounds in your life that have never been sutured up. They've never been healed. I'm telling you, it's now. It's, it's right now that God wants you to get fully restored and recover everything that you need to recover. Get healed in every area of your life that may be afflicted. Oh, God, help us in this in this setting here today. God, help us to be touched in such a way that we don't have to look back and say, God, I I really need to take care of that before I can go and do what you want me to do. Be what you want me to be. No, I want to be able to go with whatever God has for me. I'm reminded of that story of Jehu as he was going what remained of the prophets of Baal he had already accomplished a great victory with overcoming Jezebel and while he was riding he came by a young man as he was driving fiercely with his chariot and he stopped and that young man was standing by the side of the road and he reached out and took him by the hand and he said, is your heart with mine? And that young man was able to step right up into that chariot and ride with that prophet to victory. But as I began to study about that young man, I found out that he was a Rechabite. And a Rechabite didn't have any ties to this world. He didn't have any vineyards that he had planted. He didn't have any houses that he had built. He was a tent dweller. He lived on the outward. He didn't have any cities that he lived in. He was a, he was a Rechabite. He was a nomad pretty much. Amen. He was what we would call in modern terms a gypsy. He just lived from city to city and place to place and uh, he had certain skills that he could do that nobody else could do but he was a Rechabite and the reason why he was able to step up in that prophet's chariot and go with him to obtain victory is because he was not so attached to this world that he couldn't go when God called him to go. I'm telling you, sometimes we get so bogged down in carnality and issues of life and things of life that when God moves, we can't move with Him. We can't flow with Him. We can't can't operate like we need to operate. We're encumbered by so many things of this world. We can't go when God calls us to go. I'm going to tell you, in 2012, you need to shuck some things. You need to cut some things off. You need to make up your mind. Nothing's going to inhibit me. Nothing's going to hinder me. I'm going on to do all that God has for me. I'm going to be all that God has promised for me to be. Would you reach out to the Lord right now? Let's pray together. Come on, let's really pray together. What was it about Lot's wife? You see, basically, when they left Ere of the Chaldees, Lot and Abraham, they became sojourners. They became travelers. They became tent dwellers. They didn't have a city. They were looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. They didn't have any real stability is never 
drive your stakes too deep because God may say it's time to move over here. It's time to go this direction. And so finally, Lot separates from Abraham. And they go to Sodom and they set up a homestead. Now, Mrs. Lot, for the first time, she can really set up housekeeping. Used to, nothing was real permanent. Now she can have a house full of furniture. She can have belongings. She can decorate it like she wants to. She can drive the stakes a little deeper, if you will. She can have a kitchen set up like she wants it. She can have a little bit of permanence. She can raise her family here. They can live around her in the same neighborhood. They can come and visit at leisure. Now, for the first time, she feels settled. She feels like, I've got something that's my own. And so when Lot says, God sent an angel, he said, we've got to leave this city. She's attached. She feels a certain amount of regret because this is my home. This is what I've established. This is my place of permanence. This is where I want to be. And God said, come on. I'm going to tell you, if we're not careful, we can become settled in a certain attitude and spirit. We can become settled again uh, with a certain philosophy of saying, this is where I'm at and this is where I want to be relationship with God and I'm content with this but God may be calling you up higher God may be calling you to a better place God may have more for you Mrs. Lot don't look back let it go and go on into what God has go on into what God has promised and that's why the scripture says, remember Lot's wife. Remember when God gets ready to move, the very worst thing you can do is start looking back. When God gets ready to give you a promise that you've been praying for, the very last thing that you can do is hang on to the past because you'll never be able to embrace the promise as long as you're holding on to the past, as long as you're holding on to that hurt, as long as you're holding on to those fears, as long as you're holding on to that inhibition, as long as you're holding on to that, that mentality. You'll never be able to go into what God has for you. So, so if you're going to be able to go where God wants you to go, you've got to remember Lot's wife. You've got to remember that the very worst thing you could do is stumble and look back and get preoccupied with things in the past when God is trying to take you into a bright future. I'm preaching to somebody in this room this morning. God has great things in store for you. And right now it's at a critical juncture in your life. You're being led. Sometimes in the in-between we don't understand. In the in-between we don't, we don't really comprehend everything that God is doing. But I'm telling you, there is greater things in store for us if we'll release. Amen. If we'll let go of every hurt, every worry, every fear, every inhibition and go into what God has for us. There's just no telling what God could do in our lives. Would you stand with me?
Maybe that's why the Apostle Paul says these words in the book of Philippians. Now, the Apostle Paul is not, he's not just anybody. He's probably the most influential man in the New Testament church. But he says, I'm forgetting those things which are behind. And I'm reaching forth to those things which are before. As I press towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You think Paul ever had a struggle with the past? I think he did because there's evidence in his writings that he did. He said, I, I, he got to talk about sinners. He said, of the whom I am chief. And then he talked about in other passages about his persecution of the church. You think that didn't haunt him at times? It may have haunted him, but it didn't inhibit him from being what God wanted him to be. Somewhere along the way, he had remembered this story. He had remembered this, this occasion. He had remembered this, this example of Lot's wife looking back. And he said, you know what? I can't afford to look back. I can't afford to grope around in my past and, 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 and let that some way keep me or inhibit me from doing what God wants me to do. I can't be hindered by all of that. I know i got an horrific past, but i got a God that has forgiven me. He's clean me and I got to step into my destiny. I got to go into my future and I, I can't hold on and I can't drag the weights and the burdens and the fears and all the things of the past and get there. Said, so I'm forgetting those things which are behind. Maybe I'm preaching to somebody that says, well, just to be honest, Brother Calhoun, 2011 hadn't been my banner year. I've had some failures, I've made some flops, I've made some mistakes, I've had some times when I fell and skipped my knee. There's been some times that I have been slowed in my progress, I haven't run with the diligence or the determination that I should have. But i still got my crown, and I'm still in the race. I'm still striving. I'm still running. You know what my advice to you, and I really feel like the Lord has laid on my heart this morning. Don't look back. Just keep on running. Because God's got greater things in store for you. I've fallen. I've I failed. I've made mistakes. Join the club. problem is not with the one that falls. The problem is with the one that don't give up. What did the Bible say? It said that just man falls seven times. But he gets back up. He gets back up. He gets back up. Amen. Remember Lot's wife. Don't get hung up. You say you don't know the injustices. You don't know the hurts. You don't know the pain. You don't know everything I've been through. You don't know this deal in my family. You don't know this deal in my past. You don't, you're not aware of this. Perhaps not. But I, I would go as far to say that you're not an anomaly here today. I would be bold enough to say that God has not just allowed you to be the only one. 
and you're not the only one that the devil's ever attacked and you're not the one that the devil's ever climbed on his back and dogged and condemned and, and tried to get to quit because my Bible says there's no temptation but what is common to man every one of us have had situations where we could have given up where we could have quit and maybe even humanly justifiably so but you know what giving up has never really been an alternative we just get back up but you know what God's trying to say to us don't look back keep on running keep on running I wonder if there's somebody here today that wants to make a fresh commitment to God let's come around this front as close as we can and say God help me help me not to look back Help me, God, not to, not to get, get bogged down in the past and past failures and past mistakes and past situations. Help me, God, not to be condemned by things that I have no control of now. Let your blood so thoroughly cleanse. Let your blood so thoroughly deal with certain issues of my life that I never have to look back. I never have to be inhibited again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's come close. Let's pray with one another. Come on. Let's, let's take somebody and pray with them. Even as Lot did, he took his wife by the hand and said, Come on, let's go. I wonder if some way spiritually here today we could do the same. God, help us. Help us. Help us. In your name, Lord. In your name, Lord. I'm not going to look back. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. Hallelujah. Come on, church. Pray. Pray, church. Reach out to God. Come on. Your future's brighter than your past is. Oh, don't get bogged down in certain things. Certain aspects of life. Don't live with some haunting memory. Don't let that to be the, the biggest thing. Come on, the Holy Ghost is moving here. The Holy Ghost is moving here. Reach out to Him right now. Oh, yes, listen. Lead me, Lord, I will follow. Lead me, Lord, I
lead me, Lord, lead me, Lord. I will follow. Lead me, Lord. I will go. You have called me. I will answer. Lead me, Lord. I will go. Yes, I will. And lead me, Lord. Lead me, Lord. I will. I will follow. Lead me, Lord. Thank you so much, God. Praise God. Praise God. I love you, Lord Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's all return to the house of the Lord tonight and believe God for great things. Choir practice at five prayer at six. Let's have a good time in the Lord. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.